everybody, it's me, Katie Osaurus, and welcome back to Infinite Quest. I have the same exact announcement that I made last week, but here we are again. So the website service that we use for InfiniteQuestPodcast.com is currently experiencing some difficulties, question mark. Um, and what that means is that, unfortunately, I cannot add new pages. So both uh, this week and last week, I talked about, oh, go on over to the website, to the extra section. Right now, the extra section, I cannot edit. Uh, so that is a problem that we are working with customer service to solve. Many emails have been sent and not a lot of resolution has happened, but we are so honored and thrilled to have Kristen Carter of the I Have ADHD podcast with us this week that I just wanted to let you know before the episode starts, um, that if you want to check out what Kristen is doing, her incredible work, her incredible advocacy, or just reach out to her for, uh, you know, her coaching services, you can do that by visiting IHaveADHD.com which is honestly a lot easier to remember than infinitequestpodcast.com, but here we are. Anyway, I just wanted to let you know, and hopefully we will have those website issues resolved, but it's an ADHD podcast. What do you expect? So anyway, thanks so much for listening. Uh, thanks so much, Kristen Carter, for being here again this week. We are honored to have you. Um, and yeah, that's it. Here comes the regular part of the episode. Eric, I don't think anybody noticed. Seamless. Hey, hi, hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to Infinite Quest. It's me, Katie Soros. Yes, hi, hello, it's me, Hey Goop. And it, it's not just us today. We have a very extra special, amazing guest. We've got Kristen Carter on the podcast from the I Have ADHD podcast. It's all right there in the name. We love that. Hey, uh, Kristen Carter, thanks so much for being here. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm so stoked to be here. We're really, really excited. So for those of our audience who may not have met you or know about your amazing podcast and your incredible work in the ADHD community, do you mind just introducing yourself, give her, give her listener, I can't even say readers, it's really weird. I would love to. Yes. Hello. My name is Kristen Carter. I have ADHD and I am the host of the I Have ADHD podcast. I like to keep it very simple. I'm also on Instagram uh, at I Have ADHD podcast. And I also hang out on the website, I Have ADHD.com. So it's like very basic and simple, which I think just really works well for my brain, maybe for all ADHDers' brains. Um, I spend my time. Uh, all day, every day, supporting adults with ADHD. It's the most fun thing in the whole world. It's my obsession, my passion. I absolutely love doing it. So I am a life coach and I coach adults with ADHD. I write um, and create content for my ADHD coaching program, which is called Focused. And I spend a lot of time um, creating podcast content as well, which I enjoy some of the time and curse and cry other times. So it's like, it, you just never know what you're going to get. So sometimes it's cursing and sometimes it's like really fun. So that's what I do. Um, I live outside of Philadelphia. I have three kids. They're very loud and obnoxious. Three boys. It's great. I'm married to a smoking hot guy. So yeah, living the dream. Sounds pretty great, to be honest. <laughs> it doesn't suck. It really doesn't great, suck. Right? <laughs> so what was your diagnosis story, if you don't mm. mind, of course, sharing? 
No, of course. No, I would love to. So my diagnosis story starts with my dad. He read Ned Hallowell's book, Driven to Distraction in the 90s. And he self-diagnosed and was like, okay, I think this might be a thing. And I remember us all sitting around uh, in a circle at the Jersey Shore and he's reading the symptoms list of, you know, from Ned Hallowell's book, what it means to be an adult with ADHD. And we were dying laughing because we were like, oh my gosh, this is, this was him. It was like everywhere. It was just his life 100%. And so when he finally was diagnosed and treated for ADHD, then he started nagging me about it. He saw it in me right away, but I was 18 and I didn't really care. When you're 18 years old, you don't care what your dad thinks. I was like, (laughs) whatever. You don't know anything. And so I let it go for quite some time until I was double majoring in college and totally drowning. And I was like, my peers are able to do things that I am totally not able to do. How can they keep a planner? And I can't keep a planner. How can they do a little bit of work at a time toward this goal of like a paper or a test? And I just, I had no idea how to make that happen. Um, And I, I really saw such a stark contrast between the way I was functioning as a college student and the way that my peers were functioning. And so I finally consented to being evaluated and was immediately diagnosed um, and put on a stimulant right away. And my grades went on the fridge immediately. Like I, I printed them out and I put them on the fridge because I was like, this needs to be documented. This is incredible. So, um, and then I didn't really think about it for 15 years, honestly, really, I didn't. So um, what, so what made you then want to like, sort of like really delve yeah. into that? Like, how did you go? Cause we're bastions of journalistic integrity here at infinite quest. And so we looked at your LinkedIn, you know, no big deal. Oh we wait, really what? My LinkedIn is the worst place <laughs> Well, the reason, the reason why I ask is I'm really interested Shame. because I know that you were working um, with like a tutoring company and, and like running that reading program and that kind of thing. But then you started hosting the, I have ADHD podcast. So yeah. like, what yeah. was that transition? Like, like, how did you get into like doing the ADHD stuff? Good. Okay. So first of all, nobody go to my LinkedIn. I re- <laughs> not yeah, so like same for me. Nobody right go. Now. Not a single one. Nobody go nobody to go. LinkedIn. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so embarrassing. Um, okay. So I was working with students who were struggling in school and I was continually attracting ADHD students. And it was just this like weird and magical thing that just kept happening. Like they just kept coming to me. Even if they were coming for reading, they had ADHD. Even if they were coming for writing, like it was just, I could not get away from ADHD kiddos. Um, And I mean that in a very good way. Like they just kept coming. And what happened was their parents started reaching out to me saying, listen, I think I have ADHD and you know, you're helping my child so much what should I do for me personally as an adult? And so I went looking for ADHD help for adults and I kept coming up empty. And then I started saying Mm -hmm. like, what about like, yeah, like this is a, something that affects me. I would love to have someone that I'm looking up to. I would love to have someone that's kind of like championing, leading the way, blazing the path for me that I can look to as a role model saying like, well, if they can do it, then I could probably maybe do it. Um, and I just couldn't find my people, if that makes sense. So oh, absolutely. Are, yeah, I totally get okay. that. <laughs> so there are people out there, but 
they weren't my people. There were podcasts out there, but they weren't, I didn't resonate with them in a deep way. And so I started to think um, at the time, so I'm creating all kinds of ADHD um, support programs for the teens that I was working with. I was really focusing on ADHD in the tutoring business and thinking, you know what? I, I bet I could start a podcast. I bet, I mean, like, I bet I could do that. And it really became this like um, desire to fill the space. I just noticed the hole and was like, I think maybe I could do that. And so I spent two years thinking maybe I could do that. I think, I think maybe I could, maybe I, and I just went back and forth, back and forth, and then finally committed. And then all of the learning that I had gotten in the last couple of years from um, working with students, I just transferred over to the podcast. And then really that just took off in a way that I could have never imagined. Um, and coaching really fell into my lap. I love to say that coaching found me. When I kind of entered the ADHD space, a lot of people asked me, are you going to coach? You're going to coach? And I was like, no, like, I'm just here to like share podcast content. I had no intention of coaching. Um, and then I tried it once and then I tried it again and I tried it and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like really good at this. And it's like really fun. <laughs> and it was really just this organic thing that kind of happened. And now I will never not coach. It is like, it is what I was born to do. So fun. So I'm curious, one, how would you describe what an ADHD coach does? And two, mm. how would you describe a good ADHD coach versus a bad ADHD coach? Because <laughs> I know I've heard every time I say, oh, I'm thinking about getting an ADHD coach. Everybody goes, oh my gosh, make sure you don't get the shitty ones. You know, I'm like, yeah. oh my gosh, is there like a rule I'm not aware of or something? Well, okay. That is such a great question because I'll just describe to you what I think an amazing ADHD coach does. There's two different kinds of coaching. There's accountability coaching and there's causal coaching. And it's my experience and my understanding that most ADHD coaches function as accountability coaches. Tell me your goals. Let's break it down. Let me nag you so that I can hold you accountable to reaching your goals. And that works in the short term, right? Like I can go to someone, they can help me kind of break things down into small steps. And then if they nag me enough, usually I'm going to follow through, right? Just at least at the very least to like get them off my back. But what I think is really important and so much more life-changing is what I call um, causal coaching, which is, okay, you're procrastinating. Why? Let's figure out why you're procrastinating. Let me give you the tools to identify procrastination in your life, to um, wade through all of the feelings that you're trying to avoid and resist, to manage your emotions, to shift into a better feeling combination so that you can overcome procrastination, however it looks in your life whether it's procrastinating, like getting into the shower because you just don't feel like taking a shower or whether it's procrastinating, like finishing your master's thesis, like it's the same, right? And so it's like, it's the same skill that you can develop, but there has to be an, an understanding of the root cause of like, what's going on? Why is this happening? And so when I, um, you know, years ago was looking for 
help for myself, what I kept running into was accountability coaching. Let me, um, you know, identify your goals, break it down for you and like hold you accountable to your goals. And again, that works in the short term, but it doesn't produce life change at the root. And so what I love to do with my clients is let's essentially deconstruct everything, break it all down. So we get to the nitty gritty of like, oh, you're dealing with self-doubt. Yeah, totally. You're a human being. Oh, you're dealing with fear. No problem. That's the welcome to the human experience. Let me help you to overcome that and, and um, figure out how to tolerate that in your body. There's no way to accomplish your goals without self-doubt and fear. They're going to be there. There's no like, well, let's get rid of that forever so that we can just like move on and feel perfect all the time. Like that's not even a thing, right? So like, let's just figure out how to live with it and how to manage your life around it so that you can take the action that serves your goals. I hope that was an answer to your question. I feel like, I feel like I got really like far off there. You just this bring is an ADHD podcast. Remember, That's I have ADHD as well. So sometimes I'm like, oh man, Ben, you have ADHD too. We, we describe it as a, as a springboard uh, podcast where we pick a topic and that's just the springboard. Wherever we go after that, that's just the springboard. You don't know. You don't know. It's always perfect. a mystery. Um, I well, love it. I'm so fascinated by this idea because like I, I run into that same thing I, I, a lot. It was like, oh, you know, just keep the planner or whatever and you're cure your ADHD. So what I wonder is like you, you came up with this idea of like really like having this engaging coaching and really mm-hmm. like looking at the nitty gritty stuff. Mm-hmm. Did you in all of that kind of set out to become an ambassador to the ADHD community? Or do you think mm-hmm. that it just kind of happened because you had found that sort of like mm-hmm. niche and, and, and hole to fill, if you will? I for sure did not start the podcast thinking, um, I'm going to change the whole ADHD space or like, I'm going to be the whatever, not at all. It just kind of, um, you know, it was like, I knew there was a hole and I knew that my people weren't really being served. I knew that because I wasn't really being served. Does that make sense? I was like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's like exactly why I got into it too. So like, I totally understand. She was like, I know there's people like me out there who are thinking and feeling this, who need someone. And I think I can be that person. So I wanted to call in like my people and, and create a community around that. And it really did start with a, a free Facebook group, which grew so big and so scary and overwhelming that I was like, bye Facebook group. We're not doing this anymore. Archived, <laughs> all done. But um, when I when I decided to commit to coaching, that's when the shift happened for me, where I was willing to step into. Okay, I'm going to be a leader here, um, and there's a lot of discomfort with that. And so that just circles back to: there's no way to take the steps to follow your dreams and to do what you feel called to do without the imposter syndrome without the self-doubt, without the fear, without the anxiety, Mm. and without tolerating the discomfort of like, what might other people think? There's just no way to do it. And so none of us get to escape that. And I'm included in that. So entering into that space of like, okay, I'm actually going to put myself out there as a coach. And I'm actually going to do it way different than a lot of people. That's uncomfortable. That's not easy, right? That's not like... I still um, have to manage. At first, it was like almost unbearable, and now it's just it comes up every once in a while. 
Um, and that's okay. Like to be able to put myself out there and say like, Hey, I don't think ADHD is a superpower. Like I'm never going to call it a superpower. This is like not who I am or like what I think. And there's a lot of pushback on that. That's okay. It's okay. Um, that's why I tell myself over and over as I like soothe myself in the corner. Like, it's okay. It's okay. We, the number of times we've run into the superhero quandary and it's just like, oh, fascinating. Yeah. It's a great discussion to have, but it's not my jam. No way. Yeah. And it shows that there's, there's just no one like correct way to think about mental health. I mean, there are objectively like science true things, but how you think about it. (laughs) And yourself, that's up to you, personal sovereignty, of course. Agreed. So, like, as it sounds like you do a lot of work of wading into people and finding all their the the various causes of their procrastinations and their frustrations. Um, and a lot of that is really uncomfortable when we have to find those things that we don't really like about ourselves, whether that's something we think Mm. is intrinsic or perhaps a behavior. Um, and in our community, we talk a lot about um the need for self-acceptance and accepting who you are and accepting the the things that you do on on a lot of occasions, but also striving for, to be better, striving to be a better version of yourself. So when you're searching within yourself and you find something that you're not super happy with, how do you balance self-acceptance with self-actualizing? I mean, that is the question, right? Isn't that the question that we're all asking ourselves? (laughs) Yes. Um, So... (laughs) I will say that um, a a huge kind of foundational belief that I have is that all humans were put on this planet for a reason and are inherently lovable and worthy, just breathing. Does that like, that's it. That's your only responsibility is like show up and breathe. And if that is what you are doing, then you are a fully lovable, fully worthy, fully valuable human. And I do the hard work to really believe that about myself and my clients so that when we find things that we don't necessarily align with, like when there's something in me, when I have envy or jealousy or something yucky in me, then I'm like, that doesn't align with who I am or who I want to be. I'm approaching that from a place of fully, fully knowing that I'm worthy, that I'm already valuable, that I'm already acceptable. I don't have to change anything about myself in order to be more worthy, in order to be more valuable. It's 100%. Nobody can add to it. Nobody can take away from it. But there are some things in myself that I notice and want to change, or there are some goals that I want to reach that um, in order to do that, I'm going to have to let some things go. I'm going to have to let some selfishness go. I'm going to have to let some, maybe some sleep go or some, you know, some whatever. Um, but I think the key is not equating my worthiness, my happiness, my, um, value to those goals being met. And that's a tight line to walk because as someone in the self-development space, as someone who's constantly like encouraging people to evolve and to change and to grow, I think sometimes there is room or um, maybe some space where I do err on the side of like forgetting to remind people like, no, no, you're, you're perfect the way you are, just the way you are. But if you want to do X, Y, Z, then some things need to shift. I think so many of us though, have set our happiness outside of ourselves. Like when I can overcome these ADHD struggles, 
then I'll be happy. When I can overcome these ADHD symptoms, then I will be a valuable employee, or then I will be a valuable partner, or then I will be an equal member of this family or this community or this society. And I think that's when we really get into trouble is we need to believe that ourse- about ourselves first. I am valuable now. And that belief propels us to make sustainable change. Because mm. um, I I think a lot of people are pretty disappointed when, if, and when they do overcome certain challenges and they notice like, I'm still feeling un, unworthy. I'm still feeling um, lesser than it's because we've attributed, we've equated it with our goals. Like, oh, when I reach that goal, then I'm going to give myself the space to even like rest. Like how many of us say like, well, like when I get all of this, when I get my to-do list done, then I'll let myself rest. Well, rest never comes because really rest is a practice. It's a decision that we make. It's a choice, but it has to come first. And then from a rested place, we get the shit done. All the things. You are, you are wise. <laughs> I'm saying you're just feeling deeply personally attacked. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> like sleep, what is this? I don't know if this word. Um, so I, like one of the things I, oh my God, just, I have a thousand questions and they're all Ask really them all. weird. I'm um, here for it. But one of the things that I think is really cool about this idea of like learning to love yourself and accept yourself and not place mm. like that externalized value is that you like, at least on your website, you've talked a lot about the fact that like, you really used to struggle with being like angry oh and frustrated and like an underachiever. And so like, I, I, and, and obviously now you're in like such a different place. And so do you feel like you've completely gotten rid of that anger and frustration, like in accepting this, like sort of like new mentality or do you, have you learned to cope with it? Or like, is it, is it the difference of like, I never get angry anymore? Or is it more of like learning those coping <laughs> strategies and those mechanisms based in your like breaking down and, and rebuilding to something much healthier? Hmm. That's a really beautiful question. I think the answer is that I had to make a decision not to beat myself up anymore. And it really did come down to a boundary that I had to set with myself where it was an an internal boundary where I was like, no more, I'm not doing this anymore because, um, no matter what I did, I wasn't good enough for me. Like I got this done, but I didn't get this done. Or I accomplished this goal, but I didn't accomplish this goal. And I, I just put myself in a position over and over where I just couldn't win. There was just no pleasing me. I was really just not nice to me. And so it essentially, um, And this was really brought to my attention through coaching, like through me being coach, where it was just like, you never win. Like you never allow yourself to be in a situation where you, where you um, are proud of an accomplishment. There's always a yeah, but attached to it. And so I essentially had to draw a line in the sand and say, I'm done. No more of that. And it's not like it automatically stopped. Like there's not this like magic wand that you wave. You're just like, okay, well, that's, that was great. Like, I'm really glad I made that decision. It was a daily, almost minute by minute decision where I would literally talk to myself out loud. And I'd be like, no, Kristen, we're not doing that anymore. We're not 
yelling at ourselves that way anymore. We're not talking to ourselves that way anymore, Kristen. It's a no. And I would just almost like I would talk to one of my kids, like nicely, but firmly, we're done with this. We're not doing this anymore. And I would just redirect my attention to some, something else because what we do as humans is we get into habitual thought patterns. We get into this habit. And so my habit was crawl into bed at 12 a.m. and lay there and beat myself up for 45 minutes until I fell asleep. That was just my habit. It was like the nightly ritual. You guys talk about nightly routines. That was my nightly routine, like lay in bed, beat myself up. And um, you know, go over all the things I did wrong and fantasize about how great it's going to be tomorrow. Like all of this, that does not work. And so I had to just draw this line in the sand where it was like, I am all done beating myself up. And every time I had the urge to do it, I would usually catch myself in the middle of it. And I would just, nope, we're not doing that anymore. And I would redirect to something more productive. So that's kind of a roundabout answer to like, it is a decision that I've made with myself. Do I still go through a shame spiral every now and again? Oh, yes, absolutely. When I mess up, like recently, so I have two kiddos that are um, ADHD and one of them has an IEP at school. And recently I double booked an IEP meeting. And so the ADHD mom didn't show up to the ADHD kids IEP meeting and the school's calling over and over and over. And I was on a coaching call. I was, I was coaching but I just double booked and like shame spirals like crazy for that. Right. Because, um, that does not feel good, but now there is, um, a level of compassion that I offer myself that wasn't there before because I've developed what exactly what you said, a a self-acceptance, an ability to say like, Hey, like, yeah, you're human. This isn't perfect. We can't um, set ourselves up with such a high bar, of, which we do. Perfection is the bar. And then we inevitably don't meet it. And then we beat ourselves up just essentially for being human. And that's just not something that I want to participate in anymore. And so when I inevitably screw up, which I do, I just let myself feel shame and it does not feel good. And I try to repair, you know, like, I'm so sorry. I totally messed up and then just allow space for the shame to be present and just be nice to myself in it. Yeah. Something we talk and get asked about a lot is a lot of these emotions that accompany us throughout life, feelings of shame and anger and frustration. Mm-hmm. Those are inevitable. Those, those are just mm-hmm. our, our, our friends along, <laughs> along the route mm-hmm. uh, of life. Um, but what we can decide is how we respond to that. Um, and I think that's also true for failure. Mm-hmm. Um, you've talked a, a couple of times about how, uh, the fear of failure and all those, those strange feelings that come up when you're being ambitious and when a person is going for something that they really care about, um, there's a fear that they're going to fail and they indeed might. Um, yeah. but we firmly maintain that a healthy relationship to failure is appropriate for the long-term ma- maintenance of mental, anyone's mental health. Um, so I'm wondering first, do you agree? And also <laughs> Uh, what has you, how, how has your relationship to failure changed over the years throughout all these oh endeavors? Oh my gosh. First of all, yes, completely co-sign that belief. Love it. <laughs> I think that um, getting comfy with failure is one of the most useful skills that we can develop as humans. Um, and 
And when I say comfy, I do not mean like all of a sudden failure doesn't feel like failure anymore. What I mean is that we just embrace the, the waves of emotion that come with it. Right. And so like, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a family where we didn't talk about emotion. Emotions were like not a thing. Um, and I mean, I had the added bonus of growing up in kind of like a fundamentalist Christian family. So it was like, not only are they not a thing, but like, they cannot be trusted. So like, you better just really not even pay any attention to your emotions. Okay. So that's my background. And so I've spent, I spent three decades trying to avoid feeling anything, right? Like avoid feeling anything negative. And so when coaching concepts were introduced to me, where it was like, no, actually negative, so-called negative emotions are your pathway to living the life that you want. I was like, excuse me, what? I do not understand. Like no comprehend at all, at all. So figuring out how to allow negative emotion to be there without it driving my actions away from my goal, that's everything. Because emotion, like in psychology, we know that emotions are the fuel that drive our actions. So I, this is so dorky, but like listener, I like this cute little car <laughs> here and I hold this up. Can you see? It's oh yeah. Car. I have it in blue. I have it in red. I have it in green. The cute little, car just, okay, little car so, sticker. Okay. The reason why I have this is because I love to have a visual to like, listen, you're either moving toward your goal or you're moving away from your goal. And the fuel that you are using to drive toward your goal or away from your goal is your emotion. And so emotions are actually everything. And if you can notice, okay, I am feeling a really big emotion here. Let's not take any action from this fear. Let's just let fear be present, but let's not follow the urge to like cancel everything or back out from the thing that I said I was going to do or to stop recording the podcast that I know I'm meant to record. Let's just let fear be here and let's keep moving toward the goal. Um, and so you talk about failure. I think what most of us do is we spend all of our time and energy trying to avoid failure because we hate the way it feels when we fail. We feel shame, we feel embarrassment, we feel um, like it kind of, uh, solidifies our negative ideas that we have about ourselves. I knew I couldn't do it. I knew I wasn't worth, it. I knew I will right? like all of that. If we can just be like, okay, when I fail, not it, but when I fail, this emotion storm is going to happen, but I can expand enough to feel it. I can let it be here with me and it's not going to last forever. Then I am more willing to just go ahead and feel those feelings. I'm willing to go ahead and take the action of like, hey, I'm going to put myself out there. Hey, I'm going to go record a podcast with two people I've never met before. I'm just going to like see how it goes. And like, maybe I'll say something really embarrassing and stupid, or maybe it'll be super fun. But like, either way, it's taking action toward my goal, which is like to be an example of what's possible for an adult with ADHD. That's the goal. Like, hey, if I can do it, maybe you can do it too. And so like, I would love to be an example. And the way that I do that, put myself out there. And the only way to put myself out there is to be willing to maybe look stupid sometimes, maybe say something impulsive sometimes, maybe fail sometimes and say something wrong and have to go back and like correct myself and apologize and say like, Hey, 
that was totally out of line or whatever. But knowing that like, I am, I am um, capable of feeling shame without it killing me. I'm capable of feeling embarrassed without it breaking me. That's so powerful because then you're unstoppable. There's nothing you won't do. If you're willing to feel shame and embarrassment, you'll do whatever. I love that so much. So we have we have a really interesting thing with uh, Infinite Quest in that we have a lot of like first timers who are like just coming to realize that they have ADHD or they've just, you know, re- like found out that their partner has ADHD. So we have a lot of those like first steps into the ADHD waiting pool as it were, right? And so um, we're coming to the end of our time. Um, Eric has one more very special question I to do. ask you out of after this I one. do. Um, so just mentally prepare yourself <laughs> for how good that question is going to be. But before that, uh, my like really sort of like serious to close question is what just words of wisdom, advice, support, you know, kindness do you have for, you know, one of our first timers who might be listening and just being like, I don't know what to do about any of this. So first of all, oh my gosh, I am sending you so much love. And second, I would just say that like, all humans have the capacity to change and grow and evolve. And it's going to look different for all of us. We all have different journeys. We all have different stories. We're all starting from different points. And so there's no one size fits all, but just know that it is possible for you to take baby step after baby step after baby step to change and grow and evolve. But that can't happen without the right support in place. I can't happen without you having some sort of foundation of support. And I know not everyone has access to a diagnosis. Not everyone has access to meds. Not everyone has access to um, paid support, but even free support like this podcast, even support like, um, you Your know, attitude, like my podcast. <laughs> Shout yourself out. <laughs> uh, I'm like, uncomfortable, don't know what to say. So free support, I think can also change your life so much. But what I fully believe is that I only achieve as much or as, as far as I'm willing to support myself. So the more that I put on my plate to achieve, the more support I bring in. So for me, that looks, I mean, I, I have so much support in my life. I have a therapist. I have two coaches. I only surround myself with nice friends that I love. So like, think about that. If you only, like, if that was the only thing you did was you gave a proverbial hug and like a goodbye to people who are not nice to you in your life, that would be an amazing way to support yourself. To surround yourself only with safe people would be an amazing way to support yourself. Um, I take medication. I, um, I have someone come and clean my house, not because I'm filthy rich or because I am too good to clean, but because if I want to lead the community that I'm leading and be nice to my family, I can't also put cleaning my house on my plate. So like I let my self eat out a lot. Like those kinds of things where it's like that support, like I use my executive function to move forward to my goals. So that is connection with my family and helping my community. That's it. 
Those are my goals. Connection with my family, helping my community. So those are the two things that I use my executive functioning for. I do not use my executive functioning for like making mac and cheese at the end of the day. No matter how many times I make it, I'm going to screw it up. I'm just going to screw it up. It takes me like 14 hours to clean my house because I bop around to all the different places and I'm like, I'm so bad at it. I have somebody in an hour and a half, it's clean. And an hour and a half, how? It's a magical fairy. But like, these are the things, these are the kinds of support that you can give yourself. So for the new, new, new newbies, I would say, figure out one area of your life that you can give yourself support. But in order to support yourself, this goes back to your conversation on acceptance. There has to be a huge measure of acceptance before you're going to allow yourself to take advantage of support. Because if you don't accept yourself, you're telling yourself things like, I should be able to do this. I shouldn't have to spend money on this. I should be able, what kind of mother can't clean her own house? I should be able to do that, right? Like these are the things that I used to tell myself. What kind of mom can't cook for her kids? Like just cook for your kids. But I couldn't. I, I couldn't be responsible for the cooking, the cleaning, the job. Like my brain does not function that way. So it's either chicken nuggets every night, which is totally fine, or we have some support in that area, which is also totally fine. So like accepting yourself is one of the huge steps here, accepting ADHD as a clinical diagnosis that deserves treatment and support. Those are huge steps in you then allowing yourself like, oh, I will ask my best friend to remind me, you know, to buy a present for this party that I'm going to. Oh, I will reach out to my mom and say, hey, can you watch the kids while I go grocery shopping? Because I literally cannot think while they are with me. Like those kinds of things you're willing to ask support for when you begin to accept ADHD for what it really is, which is... uh. It's really interesting because I'm like, I don't want to say what it really is. It is a really difficult disorder to deal with. It really, really is. And so when you begin to acknowledge that and have compassion for yourself, the support that you're willing to put in place can change your life. I'm going to, we're not going to say anything for a second. And then we're going to put in an applause break after that. Oh Cause I, I feel like you need like a, like a, like a live studio audience round of applause for that answer. That was beautiful. Um, Eric, do you, do you want to do it? I'd love to. Okay. Um, so we ask this uh, question to all of our guests. I insisted from day one that we ask a requ- uh, guest this question, okay. sort of like a James Lipton kind of thing. Um, if you could wave a magic wand and suddenly be able to play every instrument in the world masterfully, mm-hmm. or I always tell, say it like that, don't you? Katie's impersonating my, my finger motions. I- or <laughs> wave the magic wand and be able to speak every language in the world fluently, oh. which would you choose and why? Oh my goodness. I would for sure speak every language fluently. Yeah. That's easy, 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 easy answer. Yeah, for sure. I have clients all over the world and I would love to be able to speak to them in their own language. Mm. So they, um, in my coaching program, we have people from all over and there's oftentimes where we are somewhat struggling to communicate and it's beautiful. I mean, I love it, but also I think that maybe their experience as a client would be enhanced if I could speak to them in their own language. And I would love to do that. I would love that, it. 
It's a good answer. That's a really good, good answer. answer. Well, All right. Well, Chris and Carter, thank you so much for being here. Um, one more time, tell our audience where they can find you, all the good stuff you want them to know about. Floor is yours. Floor is yours. <laughs> Great. I love it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I would love for you guys to check out my podcast, the I Have ADHD podcast. It is where I show up every week. Um, my team makes sure that I show up every week because I am not a consistent person, but they help me to be consistent. And um, you can also find me on Instagram at I Have ADHD Podcast. I hang out there a lot. And if you are interested in um, checking out my fo- my coaching program, it's called Focus, and you can hop on over to my website, IHaveADHD.com slash focused to learn more. And that's and we- it. Hooray. Right. That was really good. That was really good. Was we solid. suck at that part. We, we're always part. Um, but we will have all of that information on our extras page over on our website, dear listener. Um, so Kristen, again, thank you so much for being yeah, here. We're so, so excited to talk thanks. to you. You're amazing and so great. And uh yeah, thanks for thanks for stopping by. Cool. Bye. Cut that cool because that was like embarrassing. <laughs> cool. Cool. That was Don't good. that, that was be really the last good. word on your podcast, please. <laughs>